Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm thrilled to be talking to author, cannabis expert, and yoga teacher, Nikki Fuhrer, about why the lovely cookbook, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, by Samin Nosrat, is the best book ever. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It is my delight to have you. I am a huge fan of your work. Will you start by telling my listeners what it is that you do? Um, My book is called A Woman's Guide to Cannabis, Using Marijuana to Look Better, Feel Better, Sleep Better, and Get High Like a Lady. (laughs) Um, The original title was just Get High Like a Lady. (laughs) (laughs) And then it went from there. Um, I... Uh, I've done a lot of things, but at one point, um, in my thirties, I owned an independent bookstore. Um, and I was just used to, you know, 10, 12 hours a day of standing behind the counter and people walking in the door and being like, well, I'm looking for a book about this. I'm looking for a book about this. So I was used to just, you know, finding people books. That's what I did. Um, and then the bookstore went how you expect those things to go. So I had to close it. Um, and then decided, to move to the mountains and sell weed <laughs> <laughs> because I had been responsible for the whole store for a long time. I just wanted to not be responsible for a minute and hike. So, um, and actually I moved to Colorado because at the time my brother, my brother has um, seizures and he is severely autistic. And so I moved to Colorado so that I could get the CBD oil for him um, and get it back to my sister who was giving it to him. <laughs> So that was really the reason I moved to Colorado. And I was like, well, if I'm going to move to the mountains, might as well try something new. Um, so I immediately Because Colorado doing- was the first we- legal yeah, state. Yeah, yeah, this was 2014. It was the only recreational state. Okay. Um, and honest, Denver is not that far from St. Louis, which is where I live. Um, California is a lot farther away. So um, yeah, I went to Denver um, and started working in dispensaries there. So I just went from retail to retail. I did not change much. Um, <laughs> I just picked a new city and stood behind the counter again. Um, but at that, at behind the dispensary counter, which was just, it's so much like the bookstore. It's unbelievable. Any independent booksellers um, that need a side job, just go to the your local dispensary. It's the exact same thing. Um, people come in and tell you how they feel and what they're looking for. And it's your job to find the right thing for them. Um, whether it's weed or a book, it's the exact same thing. Um, and most of the time you really do need both. So, um, in the dispensary, I did not have a book to hand to people that came in that looked like my mother who had all of the same questions over and over again. CBD was just becoming a thing. Um, and I knew there needed to be a book to give to new people before they walked in the dispensary, just like you needed a crash course in how to order a latte when Starbucks became a thing. Uh Um, So I just knew right off the bat exactly what the book needed to be. Um, And because I worked in publishing, um, I was able to just send a text message to my friend who's an agent and say, wouldn't it be funny if there was a book called Get High Like a Lady? And he was like, yeah, that is funny. Um, (laughs) Write up a proposal. So um, I did, and then he sent it out to publishers, and um, my editor at Workman had a list on her desk of book ideas that she was looking for, and Women and Weed was one of those ideas. She was looking for something like this. So um, that's um, getting a book published by a publisher really is like, you know, 
getting struck by lightning. Um, but that's how it works. Somebody has to be looking for the book that you want to write. Um, it's sort of how that worked out. And then we just came up with this and it really has been exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, that guidebook for people the first time they're coming in so that they know what strain to get. They know whether to buy hand cream or a vape pen. Um, they know how much of the brownie to eat. Um, and, and that sort of answers all those beginner questions. What is the difference in recommending cannabis products to women instead of men? It, there really is a difference. Number one, there is a difference. Uh, men don't um, have menopause. Men don't go through menstruation. Um, women have a lot more pain and issues on a regular basis than men do. Um, and especially women at a certain age group, um, their standards are a little different. My peers, I'm 47. My peers are picky. Um, they have been around a while. They know what they like. They know what they don't like. Um, they don't want a bad hand cream that's greasy and, you know, gets all over their clothes and some hippie made. <laughs> There's a way to make good hippie topicals. It yeah. is possible, but sometimes they just don't come out. Men, I've noticed in the dispensary, especially men that are my age, you go, oh, how did you like the, you know, the strain that you got last time? Oh, it's good. I got high. That's it. You ask the woman, she's like, well, it's not a little. And then it tasted in. These were the effects. And then the next time I tried it, blah, blah, blah. But you just get more detail and she has paid attention more and she's more aware of the experience and what happened and what the product is like. So um, when it comes to market research on cannabis products, I always ask women because men, men just, just, did I get high? That's the only thing that they think about. Um, women think about a ho- the whole experience. So that's why I appreciate their um, input um, on everything. Do you notice that most women come in for some sort of pain management or pain relief, and then they eventually venture into recreational usage? I'm not one of those people that doesn't enjoy getting high. I think it's fun. I like it. I think that's part of the medicine. I'm not afraid of it. There are other people, if you've ever read Isla Waldman's book about LSD, she hates getting high, hates oh. it, but she microdoses. There are just some people that don't enjoy it. So I think it's a personal thing. If you like the feeling of getting hot, then it's, I mean, it it can be medicinal for me. It's, you know, antidepressant. Um, it makes me feel better. I do sort of think all recreational use is medicinal. Um, as long as it's not over, I think overuse is the problem, but I've had a lot of uh, men come into you and men have pain. Um, I had one guy in a biker jacket in Illinois in a dispensary, he was crying because the topical that we had put on the market was helping his back pain. He was thrilled. And I had not thought about a man for a second when I designed that product. Mm -hmm. Um, It just worked for him. So I think there is, you know, a lot of gender neutral stuff with this, but um, I do think women um, just because they've got uh, menstrual cramps every month, um, I do think they might be a little bit more focused on pain just from that alone. Mm -hmm. But I do get more women focused on sleep too and insomnia. Men don't really think about using the marijuana for sleep as much as women do. Tell us about the yoga classes that you teach. So during lockdown, um, I got really bored and decided to do yoga teacher training because I, for years, have gotten high and gone to yoga. I felt that was the main place where you smoked weed was in the parking lot of the yoga studio. I thought everyone was doing this. I did not know everyone was not doing this. Okay. Um, I haven't gone to a yoga class not high in my whole life. And I've been going to yoga since, you know, I was 25. It's always been a combination for me. And it's just lately, and I mean, with 2020, you remember how bad it was. Just restorative yoga became my thing. The sort of faster, more active, you know, 
regular yoga. I don't do hot yoga. I'm morally opposed to it and I will fight you to the death. But vinyasa, I get, I get. And I do that every once in a while. That's sort of my strength building and, and, and all that. I don't really enjoy it. Um, but I do it because I, I know I need it. But the restorative is the one that I really enjoy. I, I think rest and relaxation is good. I have uh, tumors on my adrenal glands that sort of trigger hormonal responses. My, my adrenaline will just sort of go off. Um, that nothing's coming at me. There's no threat, but all of a sudden my body thinks there's a threat. So I, um, because of the, the tumors, I have to emphasize um, stress reduction and uh, relaxation to keep my body in shape. And last summer, you know, I mean, nobody could do anything. That's all we did was gather in my friend's backyard. Um, she had a spot in her yard where there used to be a tennis court. So that was, you know, the, the big rectangle grass mm-hmm area that was, we could all spread out, um, and get high into yoga. And it was for a lot of it was, it was the only time we were seeing people outside of our household all week. Um, so I think it sort of saved us last summer and then it's just sort of gone from there. I have taken one of your classes and I hope to take more. And I have to say it was the most relaxed. I think I have been since probably since 2016. <laughs> right? I just oh my gosh. I, I slept, I think I slept that entire weekend. I just felt so good. Well, that when you combine the effect of the cannabis with the restorative yoga poses that calm the body, and then you add the yoga nidra on top of it, and you do that guided meditation, it just all sort of piles on top of each other to the point of like wringing you out like a rag. That is the whole point of it, is to sort of shut down the brain um and allow you to rest yeah you need more, you need more than just sleep you also need rest and yes. that yoga need i think really provides that and the rest i mean is just as healing as you know water and sunshine so i think it's super important agreed and i don't think that that's something that our culture understands is the need for rest so i would like to say to my listeners even if you are not a cannabis user do seek out a good yoga nidra if you are in need of rest because it mm-hmm. really is a magical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk then about your reading life. So have you always been a reader? Yes, yes, I've always been a reader. I, I, I mean, they would punish me as a kid by taking away my books. Right, I was not sent to my room because I was like, yay, that's yeah. exactly what I wanted. So um, when I finished my undergraduate degree, the last semester, I saw a flyer on a bulletin board. And this was the spring of 2001. Um, I saw a flyer on the bulletin board about a publishing course at Columbia University in New York. Um, And I was like, ooh, I want to work in publishing. That would be fun. I don't know how to do that. Move to New York. Yay. Um, So I applied and I got in. If you want to work in publishing and that everybody wants to be an editor, but um, publicists have more fun, I swear. Um, (laughs) If you want to sort of get into publishing. I met David Foster Wallace um, and we went to the Rolling Stone offices. Um, we had lunch in the Condé Nast. Oh my God. It's fabulous. Um, but then the whole summer you are turning in your resume for assistant entry-level jobs everywhere you can. Um, and that's when you're looking, do I want to be an agent? Do I want to be an editor? Do I want to be a publicist? I have to go be one of those people's assistant to get in there. 
Um, and then at the end of the, I mean, everybody in the course gets a job somewhere in publishing and then they all move to apartments together in Brooklyn. So yeah, so that's how I got into publishing and, and, and that's where you meet people that are obsessed with science fiction um, and fantasy and that's all they read, but they know everything. Um, there were people there that just loved kids books. That was their thing. Um, YA was not big when we were there. Uh, that came later. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, those people that only read YA, um, that there are editors, that's all they do is YA. They're agents, that's all they do. So um, it's, it's a spot for everyone who likes to read anything. I like highly, um, I like well-written commercial fiction. That's my, that's my genre. That's where I like to land. Such as what? There's some historical fiction that I love, some that just leaves me cold. Um, if I'm going to run into a bookstore and grab something to read, I'm going to grab a mystery. I, I could have a whole bookshelf full of mysteries. Um, if I'm headed to the beach and I just want, yeah, thrillers and mysteries. I do kind of like the boy books. Um, I don't, oh, I love Tata French. If there's a new Tata French, I will go to the end of the earth to find, get my hands on that. Um, what else? Jillian Flynn, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, a Maria Semple is one of my absolute favorites. I love funny. And Maria Semple is just, where'd you go, Bernadette? Yeah. Um, was, so funny. I know. I love her. So that, um, that's sort of my, my lane, I think. Were you able to curate your bookstore according to your tastes? No. Why would I ever do that? Okay. I'm not. I'm not the only customer. I have to pay rent every <laughs> month. When I had the bookstore, I definitely read more widely. Just whatever was coming out, whatever NPR talked about, I had to know. Um, because people would come in the store and go, I heard it on NPR. I don't remember the title, but it was about this. Right. And then from there, I go, oh, yeah, I know which one it is. Okay. Um, so I had to be more up on everything at the time. But yeah, I definitely had a really good cookbook section because that's what I love. So independent bookstores are definitely a sort of whatever the buyers and owners are catering to, but um, you do want to have the books that everybody's looking for. Since you don't have the bookstore anymore, has your reading life, um, do you feel like it's missing something now? Like since you don't have to keep up with what everyone is doing, do you sort of miss those genres that you wouldn't read on your own or do you really still read very widely? I... Don't miss having to read books I don't like. Mm. I don't mind letting go of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just focusing on books that I do like because, I mean, at the time at the bookstore, I would take photos. I just had, you know, galleys stacked on my kitchen table and I couldn't sit and enjoy the whole book. I had to just flip through it as fast as I could and see what it was and get a sense of it and then put it down and move on to the next one. Um, there was not really time to appreciate and enjoy it was just sort of knowing, um, knowing, do I, are people going to come in looking for this book? Is NPR going to talk about this book? Is Oprah going to talk about this book? Do I need to order 10 copies or do I need to order 50? That's not, that's not thinking about like, do I enjoy this story? What do I think about these characters? There was none of that. So I do think now I just get to enjoy reading. Hi friends, just a quick break to remind you that even though we are melting through a blazing hot summer here in California, and the thought of the winter holidays seems like a fever dream, I am nonetheless hard at work on my second annual Kids Gift Giving episode, where I interview a bunch of young people about their favorite book. 
It was my favorite episode to record last year because kids are my favorite people. And you all very clearly agreed. It's still far and away my most popular episode. If you knew a young person ages 5 to 20 who would like to tell me about a book, I would love to talk to them. Go to my website, juliewroteabook.com, and click on the button that says, Be a Guest on the Second Annual Kids YA Gift-Giving Guide. I can't wait to hear from you. Now, back to the show. How did you find the book we are discussing today, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat? How did I find it? NPR, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I heard something about it, and that... I mean, every season in publishing, there are just a couple of books that, like, it seems like that's what everybody's talking about. Um, And this was one of those books that even before it came out, people were like, oh, my God, it's so great. Um, And I got a copy of it as soon as it came out. And it just blew me away. I just love, I love cookbooks. But this, I had not seen anything like this except for Alice Waters' cookbooks. Um, And it's not just so much about, like, here's a bunch of recipes. It's really like, well, this is how to cook. Yeah. So that no matter what ingredients you happen to have on hand, you can make something. You don't have to go get these 10 specific things and do it exactly this way. So I like cookbooks that teach you how to cook rather than just give you a bunch of recipes. Now, you um, you are only the second podcast guest of mine who chose a cookbook. Um, and I'm always thrilled to sort of find you unicorn people because it tells me that you have a different relationship with cookbooks than just... Uh, I need to make bolognese. Where's that recipe? Um, is my guess. Tell me yeah. if I'm wrong. Um, Cause I read them cover to cover like novels. Do you do that? Yeah, no, I, I, they're romantic to me. These are romance novels. These are, <laughs> I love to read about people that love food. Yes. Um, that I, I realized that comes, you know, that's my own experience. My grandmother never cooked. I never saw her cook a meal. She and my grandfather would go out to dinner every single night Wow. Except Monday night when they would just have like drinks and snacks um, and eat whatever leftovers they brought home all week. My grandma, I mean, even holidays, other people brought the food to my grandma's house. Oh my um, she never cooked. My mom cooks, but she um, um, only knows how to make the diet version of things. Uh-huh. She um, knows how to take out the sugar and replace it with applesauce. <laughs> um, we, were, we had macrobiotic food in the 70s and 80s. Um, and that a part of that is because my brother, she was, you know, trying different things to try to help him. Um, but she's always just been a dieter and whatever, whether it's, you know, fat is bad or carbs are bad or sugar is bad or paleo or whatever the newest thing is, she was all over it. Um, so she knows how to make things that don't taste good. (laughs) Um, um, so I, as an adult, I didn't know how to cook. I know I, I couldn't make a grilled cheese. Um, I didn't know I could, I could, I could make macaroni from a box because it had instructions. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to cook and I, nothing. And I would go eat other people's food and be like, how do you know how to do this? And it just killed me. So I had to learn how to cook from cookbooks. I, I, that's, I think that's what motivates me with the cookbooks is learning how to cook and cook well. And I have found, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have found that even if I'm reading a cookbook and it's a recipe where I go, like, I I loathe green beans. But I find that in a well-written cookbook, I will still read the green bean recipes just for the fact that I will learn something about if it's it's a good cookbook, which this one is, I'll learn 
why the author is making that food choice, which will then be applicable. That's to me the sign of a really well-written cookbook is even the recipe that I am thinking as I'm reading it, I'm never, ever going to make this, Mm -hmm. but it's still interesting to read because I'm still learning something about food and taste and food preparation. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that, and that's why I like the salt, fat, acid, heat, because in this book, she clearly knows exactly what she's talking about, but she says the same things I think like, Oh, I used to think I didn't like that. Well, it's only because I have the bad version of it. Um, Here's the good version of it. So um, that, and that's specifically why I like this book in particular. And the illustrations are so cute. Okay. I'm so glad you brought that up because you would think that hand-drawn, hand-drawn illustrations would make it feel childish. Nope. But I found it really had the opposite effect. It made kind of some Mm -hmm. sometimes very difficult information, so accessible. In particular, for me, the salt chapter, where she draws out, well, she doesn't, she has an illustrator, but the drawings of how salt moves, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I don't have a science brain. So seeing those pictures made me think, oh, oh, that's what's happening. Right, exactly. I mean, the illustrations, I think, are at least half of why this book is so great. They're even like fold-out pages that have charts and things to follow. Um, that really, I learned how to make a lot of good things from the Alice Waters cookbook, but this is the book is the reason I always grab lemons at the store now. Um, lemons are on my list of things I always have to have in the house. I never thought about acid before. Um, I just had an old bottle of balsamic vinegar sitting around that I would just throw on things. Um, so I, I really, yeah, she changed a lot of things about the way I cook. Tell me what, Tell me some things that you have made from this recipe, or since it's not such a prescriptive cookbook, tell me maybe um, how your cooking has changed because of this book. I with the lemons for sure. Um, mm. That's because the salt, fat, and acid is what goes into the dish, and then the heat is just how you cook it. And heat, I burn everything. I my <laughs> I my smoke detector goes off like three times a week. I already know how to open my doors and windows exactly to get it to turn off. Um, I, and I get high and wander off away from the stove. Um, she sort of helped me get it together and think it through before I start making stuff. Sometimes I just wander over to the fridge and go, what can I mess with and start with one thing? And it just sort of goes from there. Um, but she sort of got me organized to the point of like, all right, let's plot it out beforehand and keep the temperatures lower so I don't burn it. Um, (laughs) And get it all done. So she really did change a lot of things for me, the heat especially, but the acid um, and using enough salt. If you've seen her, she's got a Netflix show too. Yes. And she handfuls of salts. Oh, I love it. That was what prompted me to get the book because I watched that show and I almost fainted when I saw her putting in those handfuls of salts. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this sounds terrible. But it's not. And she explains no. it in her book that you just have to know when and what kind. So my dream restaurant, and if I ever win the lottery, I'm going to use it to start a food truck and it's going to be called a little too salty. And everything I serve is just going to be a little too salty because that's the way I like it. Yes, I don't like chocolate ice cream until I can taste the salt in there. Yes. By chance, have you made the the tadig that she talks about? I, I hope I'm saying that right, but she talks about it on her show, that rice dish where it forms that crust. 
No, I always wanted to, but no, I haven't. Oh, shoot. I haven't either. And that's the one I really, really want to make. I think that's, I, so that's on my list. I saw that one. My next project that I want to start, I thought I wanted to figure out how to make fried chicken. And then I tried it once and realized I don't want to learn <laughs> fried chicken. Um, I don't enjoy it at all. <laughs> um, but the next project I want to get in, you know, we all did bread last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now I still have yeast from like the yeast shortage um, <laughs> where I finally found some that I never made any more bread. But now I want to get pasta. I want to make pasta. Homemade I want pasta. To eat eggs in the flour and yeah, and make it, roll it. Ooh, thunderstorm. Was that um, thunder? Yeah, that's thunder. Holy um, oh, you're, yeah, you're in California. You don't know what this is like. One other thing I wanted to bring up with you that um, I felt was actually very similar between her book and your book. And there I- are similarities because I went to Workman and was like, I think it should have illustrations because look at this self badass ebook. It's so I begged for illustrations because of this book. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other thing that I noticed that is similar between your two books is both of you have this sort of zest for learning the new thing. And I think that is what is so appealing about both of them is there's no pretension of right and wrong. There is, this is in her book, this is delicious. And in your book, this is helpful and lovely. And then the next question is, how do I do this at home? And there's something about that unabashed enjoyment of your topic and fearlessness to ask questions that I think make her cookbook and your cannabis book so appealing because they're both really, really informative, but not intimidating. I appreciate that. And I like that. And I think I see that in her for sure. Right. It's yeah. just the joy of food. Um, yes. And there is just nothing else. There is no pretentiousness. There's no, cultural appropriation isn't even the right word, but sort of like cultural fetishization, maybe some people are really into, you know, making things worrying about whether it's authentic or whatever, whether or not Anthony Bourdain would approve. Um, But he actually has that too. He does not need pretentiousness either. Just make it good. Um, And that I think my goal with my book was to make it as approachable as hers because that's all that really matters at the end of it. For I mean, with the marijuana, also does it work? Sure, is it effective? But then, does it taste good? Um, I think as as long as that's just your goal is to make the best thing you can make, and not worry about um, is it fancy enough, is it trendy enough, right. then I think you're free to just really enjoy things. So, Nikki, tell me what you're reading these days. Oh, so at the moment, um, I am currently reading. Uh, there is a new. Jonathan Franzen book coming in October um, called Crossroads. And I um, saw on Facebook that Nancy Pearl had an advanced copy of it a few months ago. And I got very jealous that I did not have one. So um, (laughs) I used all of my publishing contacts that I had and found someone who snuck into someone's office and stole an advanced copy for me um, and sent it over. Um, and so I finally got my hands on it and it is, Ooh, just as good or better than freedom. I'm savoring and enjoying because I don't want to rush through it and then be at the end of it. Um, cause that's what happened last time I read freedom in like three days and it was like gorging myself on too much pizza. So this one, I'm trying to drag it out. So I don't, I haven't gotten too far into it, but 
It's just, yeah, it just, he kills me. You were saying before we started recording that you have sort of a complicated relationship with him as an author. (laughs) Jonathan Franzen is from St. Louis, which is where I'm from, same suburb. Um, And so he gets, you know, a lot of local attention um, that he does not enjoy. He wants no, he has no interest in being associated with St. Louis at all. I do respect him for the fact that he does not need people to like him. Um, you know, when people say, I don't really care if you like me, but they're trying, you know, really hard to be likable. He doesn't have that. He is not trying to be likable ever in any way. Um, he is just doing his own thing and watching his birds. So I do like that, but it may, makes him, you know, difficult to like and work with. So um, as a person, I can't say he's one of my favorites. Um, we had a lot of authors come through the bookstore that were um, very friendly and engaging and sort of nice. And we all, you know, they would draw things on our bathroom walls and all kinds of stuff. Um, so we, we did have some that were engaging. He's just not very into that, but his books just blow me away. Um, I just uh, think Freedom was probably the best book I have ever read. And this is the second best. I'm not super into literary fiction. The more awards it gets, the more I'm assuming I'm not going to have fun with it. Um, so I don't read all of the literary fiction, so I can't say that, but, um, I do. Yeah. He's one of my absolute favorites. I just love it. What other cookbooks do you rely on? What are your, some of your favorite besides, you mentioned Alice Waters. Do you have other favorites? Okay. So the best, if you ever want to read a cookbook, um, that's just about the love of food and telling the stories, Pat Conroy, um, Pat Conroy died a few years ago. He wrote the Prince of Tides, um, and just a whole bunch of like Southern, um, ridiculousness and he has a cookbook out no I know exactly my mother just gave oh it my god oh right Seriously. as soon as we're on here just go Good? sit down and read that I still make my um vinaigrette dressing the way he does that he describes a trip to Italy where the waiter sort of with the salt and lemon juice and everything just perfectly like dressed um and the book is structured so it's Pat Conroy who can describe you know anything um to make it sound like it's just dripping and um Southern humidity and just every chapter is one recipe or one dish and it's where he learned it, who taught it to him, who he ate it with, the story behind it, um, whatever it is. So he's just okay. got, he's great. He likes to cook too. Um, and he did actually live in Italy for a while. So a lot of more Italian recipes, um, but a lot of more like Southern and sort of like when I say Southern, I mean like the Carolinas, um, like the Bayou. Yeah. This is like, Bayou Southern. This isn't uh, um, Atlanta Southern. It's it's different. Um, okay. <laughs> it's more like you know saltwater, um, fresh fish than it is um, biscuits and gravy or anything. Um, but he just okay. yeah. If you just want to read a book for the poetry of food, that's the book to go with. Well, why don't you tell my listeners where they can find you and your work online? I so the book is available anywhere books are sold. Um, online, not great at the online stuff. Um, the -hmm. website is there. It doesn't really do anything. Um, the social media is get high like a lady, um, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then I'm just on Facebook under my own name. Um, and that's, oh, and then the Friday night yoga classes are on a website called bend and blaze. Um, and my class is Friday night at seven o'clock mountain time, whenever that time is for you. Um, and that's where you'll find the yoga class. 
And I suppose we should specify that if yoga that makes you sleepy is not your gig, um, Bend and Blaze also offers more energetic classes and that kind of thing for whatever your needs. They've got classes every day. I think they've got at least one or two a day. Um, and, and yes, all of the other, I'm the oldest teacher there on there by at least 15 years. Um, these are young, (laughs) pretty people that have taken pretty pictures of themselves doing yoga outside and they do, yes, fast paced side plank, um, sort of regular vinyasa yoga every other day. So that's, yeah, don't come to me for that. I'm not going to talk you through a plank for five minutes. I'm just going to let you lay down. But that said, for anyone who is hesitant, maybe if you haven't even tried yoga, an online class is a fantastic way, as I was telling you before we started, to be free of that uh, pressure of being surrounded by other people. An online class is wonderful because you just lose all Mm self-consciousness because there is nobody looking at you. Probably they're not looking at you in person anyway, but we're all convinced that they are. Except I did. I went back to my regular yoga studio after lockdown. Like, all right, we're going to do classes again with masks. I went and and I was doing what I do at home, which is where I listen. I take what they're saying as like a nice suggestion of what I could be doing at the moment, <laughs> but it's really, you know, not it. And at some point, the yoga teacher comes by and she goes, "So you just you feel like you're still at home, right?" <laughs> So I guess what that means is when I do go back to in-person yoga classes, I can't wear pajamas like I did when I went to your class. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) That would be embarrassing. I want to thank you for joining me today. It has been so much fun talking to you. And I hope you'll come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will do this anytime. This was fun. Thanks for listening, bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. Remember, whenever you're book shopping, help support indie bookstores and this podcast by using my affiliate link at bookshop.org slash shop slash best book ever. Bookshop's mission is to support local independent bookstores. And if you shop using my link, I get a small percentage of your purchase at no extra expense to you. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. Oh, God, I am starving. I know, right? (laughs) That's the thing with the cookbooks that make you want to eat stuff.